The Cut. The Cut. The Cut. The Cut. The Cut. I gave everything away. One friend took my ottoman. Another took my copy of the collected works of Joe Brainerd. I unloaded it all in handoffs in the park, where I'd place the object between us and then my friend would take it in their arms. My possessions became the conduit for our intimacy because I couldn't hug them goodbye and I couldn't throw a party. I was moving during COVID. It felt like a bonkers idea to move right now. Although it seems like a lot of people are doing it. In this time of enforced stillness, there is so much motion. I moved. I moved. I moved. Yeah, I did move during COVID. From Washington, D.C. to New Orleans. Halfway across the country from everyone and everything I've ever known. To the house of my dreams. To my parents' house. Boston to Aspen. From Florida to Wisconsin. From the Bay Area to a big college town in the Midwest. I bought a house and moved into one during the pandemic. The best part of it was the house is on Corona Drive. But it's also just been strange. Super hard to get furniture. Pretty alone and pretty trapped. For me, it's meant taking a lot of walks and bike rides, often with no particular destination in mind. It's been, it's very difficult to meet new people. It's been hard to connect to people. I would see people that I didn't know and wonder what it was like to sort of know those people, know the people of this place. It's very much expecting to transform into someone new. I think we all have that fantasy of moving to a city where no one knows who we are and just becoming the best version of ourselves. And that's really not happening right now. The first night the taxi dropped me off at my apartment, I may as well have been in Toronto or Chicago. The summer heat was homogenizing, and the museums and theaters and restaurants that had meant New York to me were shuttered. There was nowhere to go beyond this strange new building I called home. What was this city just beyond the confines of my apartment? I want to say the thing that really makes a city is the people. But that's the element that really broke my heart. I'd text a friend like, hey, I'm in Brooklyn. Do you want to hang out? And then it turned out so many of them were moving away. So many of them. (laughs) Yeah, so what the hell? Why are you leaving? Um, Included in this mass exodus is my new co-worker at The Cut, Madeline Agler. Um, I, I just sort of decided to leave. We're sitting on Maddie's stoop in Brooklyn. But this week, Maddie is moving to Austin, Texas. I knew a couple of people in Austin. Um, it sounded really cool. I've never been, but never I've been. never been. <laughs> but I was like, why not? Seems cool. I could never take a risk like this. I feel like I was only able to move to New York because I'm from here and my family is still here and I had a job here and I planned it all out. Although, I mean, Maddie is still working for the cut, but she can just log on to Slack from wherever. I think it's just cool to be like, to just start a new life and be like, what is it going to be? Like, who am I going to know? Where am I going to go? What's it going to look like? Um, those uncertainties are, are very exciting to me. I mean, yeah, I definitely felt that. Moving to my new city felt like having a crush. But it was kind of the sort of crush where you don't really know someone and then suddenly you're imagining what your grandkids will look like. 
definitely have an image of myself as an outdoorsy person. I'm going to have a car for the first time in my life, which is huge. So I'm like just constantly picturing myself driving around. It's like, I can be a new person. Like, you know, in this new place, I can be whoever I want to be. Although I've heard it said that everywhere you go, there you are. I don't really know how much one can actually change in a new place, especially now. Like when I first moved here in the summer, I kind of did all the same things I did back when I lived in Oakland. I biked around, I had a beer in the park, I took a COVID test, I cooked my dinners at home, I made this podcast in the closet. You can't completely escape your old self. In some ways, it's just you in a different room. The thought of just like logging on to Slack and having everything be exactly the same when I'm in like a new city and a new apartment, like have gone through this huge change. It's just going to be so weird. There's this reminder that even though I've changed so much about my life, but I'm still going to beat me there. So, Maddie knows this. She's bracing for it. She's moved a lot as a kid and was always waiting for places to fundamentally change her. But this time, her move to Austin feels different. This time, it's less about finding a new self and more about leaving an old self behind. I'm starting a new life sober. Like, it's like, here I'm living a life that I built when I was drinking when I was younger. Like, I've been, like, fucked up on this stoop so many times, you know? Like, um, so from a standpoint of sobriety, like, I think it'll be nice to be in a space where I, I'm not inundated with those memories all the time. When I got sober last summer, I was like, I want to move. I want to move. And I was like, I want to move to Montana was what I was thinking for a while. And in recovery, there's a lot of talk of, like, don't immediately move. Don't immediately make, like, big life changes because dealing with all the stress can really challenge your early sobriety in a way. It's just kind of interesting that it happened, that this move that you've been thinking about for so long happened now. Yeah. Yeah, I think, like, the choice has been obviously pretty impulsive. I was like, this feels right. I'm able to do it, luckily, so I'm going to do it. If you're going to make a change, why not now? Austin King is head of business development at Brentley Brothers Moving and Storage. My family's been doing it for 50 years. Uh, my grandfather started the company uh, in 1967. Uh, my dad is the president. I started a little bit in high school just as far as learning, you know, being on the trucks, doing the moving, the actual packing, uh, padding, wrapping, learning the whole process, the intricacies of moving. And it's not just what I'm anecdotally seeing. Austin confirms there are a lot more moves happening right now. I usually, on a summer average, I probably do maybe 10 to 12 moves. I would say about this year, I've done maybe about 20, 25. Austin says that initially, when the pandemic first hit, a lot of people just moved right away to be closer to home or closer to their families, out of necessity and out of comfort. And a lot of people were just fleeing all the horrible things that have been happening. For instance, I had a, a client. When COVID first started, they were living in Brooklyn. Then they decided to move to Minneapolis just to get out of, outside of New York City because New York City was, you know, the epicenter. And then, and then with all the racial tensions started happening there, they moved a couple of blocks away to a new neighborhood in Brooklyn. But then as we got into the summer and the fall... Austin has seen a lot more moves like Maddie's. We have been seeing a number of clients just like, hey, I've always wanted, I thought about it and I entertained it for a while. Now I'm just going to go. I'm going to, I'm going to make the leap. I'm going to take the leap of faith. And at least in Austin's experience, there are a few top places he sees people moving to right now. Georgia, Florida, I would say Chicago has been another, another market that we've tapped into. If I had to choose one, um, 
I really like DC. Washington DC was really was really nice. I had a client who moved out there. But at the end of the day, it is true that people are by and large leaving New York City. Oh yeah, mo- most certainly. I mean, it, it, but it was. I think. I think it was just inevitable with you know the changing of with with the workforce and um, you know the the structure and the culture. But you know, f- people still love New York. Still, you know, great parks. Just it's such a scenic place. Um, I haven't been able to you know go to the Whitney or the Guggenheim like I'm like I'm used to. But you know, things are going to start getting back. I mean, are you encountering a lot of people moving to New York? Um, yeah, we've 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 encountered a number of people moving, making them move to New York. It's kind of been a little bit surprising, but at the same time, it's, it's very refreshing um, because we know that's one of the you know being in the New York City metropolitan area. You know how we know how great New York City is. Do we? I don't know. After the break, I talk with someone who also moved to New York during COVID, and we figure out how to sit with our same old selves in a quiet new city. I think a lot of the times we desire change in our lives, but often it takes something really drastic to actually make that change. And I think when there's a huge break in our routine and we're forced to sit with our lives and really look at them and question what we're doing, I think people begin to make more deliberate choices about you know, where they wanna be next. This is Chanel Miller. I'm an artist, author, and an activist. All A's. And I'm Asian American. That's two more A's. You may have read Chanel's work under the name Emily Doe. She wrote about how she was sexually assaulted on the Stanford campus in 2015 by Brock Turner. And last year, Chanel Miller stepped into the public eye when she published her memoir, Know My Name. This past spring, Chanel moved to New York City. Literally, the weekend before lockdown. You know, it's funny, like, to move into an apartment during lockdown, everything is quiet. So I didn't even know what the neighborhood looked like when it was alive. Why did you move? Um, Because I had, I've been in California my whole life. And when I was writing the memoir, I felt like it was important to be close to my hometown and where everything happened. And then when I felt like I had finally confronted everything I could possibly confront, I thought, okay, now my work is done and I can ask myself what I actually want to do and where I want to be, which was a question that I didn't have the liberty of asking because for the last five years, my life was defined by this story and I was locked inside this case. And so my choice was New York And so I came to New York. How did you decide New York? Um, Publishing is here. You know, I I would always come and I would have all my chapters printed out and my editor would lay them across the table and we would move things around. And I love being able to work with paper and work with people. Also, I'm such a night owl. And so I like that this city enables me to stay up late and that it will feed me if I'm still awake at 2 a.m., which is not possible in San Francisco. (laughs) Although no one is working with paper or people now, and the city that never sleeps pretty much seems to close down at midnight. I mean, one thing that's difficult is I moved away from everything that's familiar and all the people that are very close to me. 
And so I think when you're thrown into so much uncertainty, you have this instinct to kind of go back to what's familiar to you. Although in a weird way, not seeing familiar places is a form of comfort now. When my New York friends mourn a store or a restaurant that's closing, I have no idea what I've been missing. So that's a lot less upsetting because I don't have a full grasp of what's missing. Yes. And that juxtaposition isn't there. Do you have any advice for people who are moving right now? One thing I did is to make myself known to people in my neighborhood. And when I say known, I literally mean that the ladies at the post office recognize my face and will call me love. (laughs) (laughs) And I think that's important because you have your existence acknowledged. So I think when I go out into the world and the guy at the laundromat knows me and the woman at the post office know me, you come alive because you're connecting with somebody. And it's something that I did while writing the book. The process of writing Know My Name was extremely isolating. This past March, Chanel Miller posted two pictures of herself on Instagram side by side. The caption she wrote was, March 2016, courthouse. Photo taken by my mom as I looked over my notes outside the courtroom. Over a year had passed since the assault, and I could count the number of people who knew on one hand. This was the loneliest year. March 2020, Sydney Opera House. Photo taken by my publicist as I signed books. Even on the other side of the earth, people are taking care of me. These photos are not a weak to powerful comparison, not a before and after. My power was always there. It just took on a different, quieter form. I was also loved in both photos, but in the first one, I didn't understand why. And in the second one, I fully do. Wherever you are in your timeline, keep going. Life will stun you. You have a really interesting relationship with loneliness, like real Mm -hmm. peaks and real valleys (laughs) and like in a way that is, I think, fairly unusual in a life. I mean, whatever. We all have our ups and downs, but you've had a series of peaks and valleys in rapid succession. And I'm just curious where this moment fits into your life. Yeah, I think the difference is that I'm definitely not as mentally isolated Because before, even if I was surrounded by people or saw different friends frequently, if they didn't know my story, then I spent so much of my energy concealing my true self. Like before, if I wasn't doing well or I'd have to cancel a dinner, I was so ambiguous about the reason. But now I can say like, hey, something came up in the news and has, you know, knocked me off track for a little bit. But I can just say that up front now. And that makes me feel way more at ease than before. Do you think that has something to do with New York? Yeah, yes. There's nothing you can do here that will make people look in a weird way at you. I don't think so, because I've seen a lot of odd things and people just walk by. And so, even now. Yeah, even now. And things I would have been self-conscious about maybe before are so nothing here. 
so nothing. Yeah. So I think that's really wonderful. And that's so um, beautiful to know that the spirit of a place still lives. There's a lot of talk that New York is over or cities are over. But nothing is ever just over. We can't really escape the old versions of ourselves in our old locations. Only build upon and around them. I had written about how patient trauma can be. Like it can be with you and dormant for so long and resurface when you're under certain circumstances and be just as loud and powerful as it was, you know, X amount of years ago. And so I think we can't underestimate how powerfully <laughs> trauma resides in us and how it will, it will make room for itself even if you've changed your location. So now I think the nation is experiencing an immense amount of trauma. It'll take years to process these losses. And I think all we can do is express patience and not, not follow that instinct to return to normalcy and instead pay attention to how our world has changed. I think what's wonderful is that we have so many little lifetimes that we live and that our geography can make clear distinctions between those lifetimes. So look out for those. The city I left is gone. Even if I were to return, I'm different. I've aged. I've changed. And the storefronts and the tower heights and the people will all be different. It will never be the place I knew when I was 22. But a sentimental topography of a particular part of my life will live on in a collection of moments. Like, I think about all the nights, like, walking back from a bar, like, pretty tipsy, but I have, like, the best song on my iPod. I'm just, like, walking through the city. I'm like, nothing can stop me. I'm, like, 26. Like, <laughs> I just, like, made out with this guy. Maddie is still only 28 now, but 26 was a lifetime ago. When we spoke, it felt like Maddie was already in her Austin chapter, even though she hadn't seen that city yet. These places we live, these different homes are placeholders for different life stages. So I feel like I'm leaving New York during the pandemic, but like you said, I'm also just leaving like the city of my 20s. Like it's just a different, part of this is just the timeline I'm on. I'm gonna miss like, I think just a different part of my life in addition to the city. And whether or not we are physically moving cities, we are constantly changing and aging and reinterpreting the place we call home. My version of New York is different from Maddie Agler's, from Chanel Miller's. It's different from my own version of the city I knew when I was 16, when I would take the train in from the suburbs. Different from the city my parents tell me about when they point out the boutique that used to be CBGB's and the Dunkin' Donuts in Union Square that used to be a record shop that used to be the pharmacy that my grandfather owned. And before, 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 the Lenape people called the island Manhattan, or Hilly Island. It was always vibrating and pulsating, but with fruits and nuts and birds and animals. Good yes. luck. Thank you. In Austin. 
I wonder if the soil of a place can predetermine its character, and if we can ever truly remake ourselves somewhere new. This episode was edited and produced by Allison Berenger. Our lead producer is B.A. Parker. This episode was engineered and scored by Brandon McFarland, who also made our original theme music. Special thanks to Karinza Kadinas and Sangeeta Singh Kurtz and everyone who called in to share their moving during COVID stories. Thank you all so much. Stella Bugby and Nishat Kirwa are the show's executive producers. The Cut is made possible by the team at New York Magazine. Subscribe today to support their work at thecut.com slash subscribe. I'm Avery Truffleman. Thanks for listening. <laughs>